as we draw to a conclusion our uh, ministry on deeper love, uh, Christian asked me if I, I wrestle with the theme of uh, loving yourself. And uh, I'd really encourage you to listen carefully this morning because um, uh, there's a danger that the message could get misinterpreted uh, or misunderstood, and I really don't want us to do that. But I really want us to find a balance in the sense that as we've enjoyed some wonderful Sunday mornings recently, uh, in terms of reaching out, uh, the great community impact last week, uh, we talked about loving God, we've talked about loving each other more deeply, and we need to. Uh, we've reminded ourselves of the in- increased importance of loving the community, loving world, loving the unloved, loving those that uh, seem disenfranchised from uh, the very reality of life. Uh, all those things are massively important. The reality is that going back to ministry that we've heard in recent months, you'll put a lid on all of that uh, if you don't actually learn to love yourself. So there's three verses that I think is going to go up on the, on the screen this morning. The first one from Genesis. There we go. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Romans chapter 12 and verse 3. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to you. And the final one from Ephesians chapter 5. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Loving yourself. That great song from Whitney Houston said, that learning to love yourself is the greatest love of all. She also said in that song that they can't take away my dignity. Whoever they were actually, I think, did uh, in the sad way that she died earlier this year. You know that like many of those song, uh, great musicians of that area, they they came out of the southern uh, black gospel churches uh, where they used to sing in the choirs and things, uh, their talent was recognized and Uh, The fact of the matter is that perhaps the greatest love of all is that we learn to love ourselves. I come come across a lot of people, talk to a lot of Christians that have never come to the revelation of this. I want to understand this morning that I'm not, this is not a self-help talk. It's not about ticking boxes. It's not about information. But you realize as we come towards the end of the message, it's about revelation. It's not about this morning, it's not a counseling talk. We've got some counselors, trained counselors in this church And we've got some people that are very adept in that area. And it's increasingly a skill that people respond to. Uh, But this is not that this morning. This is a a ministry of the word. This is a a word from God to us that hopefully, by God's grace, will impact our hearts. But if the journey of deeper love is to impact all of us, then we must appropriate what God wants to say to us this morning also. In Romans chapter 12, verse 3, that was on the screen Peterson said in the message, the only accurate way to understand ourselves is by what God is and by what he does for us, not by what we are and what we do for him. Here's the truth, friends, that carefully and clearly this morning, we need to see a revelation of ourselves out of a revelation of how we see God. And many people impose a revelation on themselves by confessing a God that actually is not the God of the Bible. Their God has been impacted perhaps through their journey. Their God has been impacted by their background. 
Their God has been impacted by their upbringing and they place all those things upon God. And then they find themselves by that God and God wants us to break free. He wants us to see God in who he really is and he wants us then to see who we are in the light of who God really, really is. And I want to strike the balance this morning of all of that as God helps us and ministers to us. In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27, it tells us that we were created in God's image. Lots of people don't believe that, and I'll come to that in a moment. But here's the truth of the word of God, that you and I were created special and unique. We're the only creation and creatures on the planet, friends, that have an ability to have an intimacy with God in worship, in prayer, in fellowship and communion. The things that we've enjoyed this morning as the band of letters in worship, as we've reached out to the Lord, as people have been prayed for, are utterly unique to the human race. And friends, many, we, we recognize that we live in a world that doesn't accept what is known as that worldview. Here's the worldview that's prevalent in the world today. It's a worldview that re- relates around people. It's a worldview that makes man king. It's a worldview, if you like, that's humanistic. He says this. He says that we're, we're the product of a random act. Call it what you want. The big bang. Boof. There was nothing. Now there's something. That's what we're the product of. Or we've, we've, we've emerged from the animal kingdom. And uh, we've just evolved into what we are now, the worldview. The worldview then takes us to the fact that there's no accountability to our higher being because we're in charge. So we behave how we want, we do as we want, we say what we want, and we please ourselves the, the rest of our life. That worldview also says that actually we'd like to seek to ensure that this world lasts a little bit longer. And so through ecology and conversation, conservation, many people are committed to that, but they know they can't fix it. See, Whatever you think about climate change and global warming, yes, you know, the reality is, friends, it's in danger of becoming the new opiate of the masses. See, when people stop believing in God, they don't believe in, in nothing, they believe in anything. And actually, there's a great move in the world environmentally to try and sustain this world, although people know that they can't fix it. And uh, God's had a bit of a laugh anyway by sending us a normal summer, which means it's rained every day for the last three months. And... Uh, It's a bigger issue. The bigger issue is that people have taken their eyes off the living God and said, we're in charge. We rule this planet. We're the ones that know what needs to happen. And we get lots of isms out of this. Lots of isms. For instance, we get relativism. It's the underguided principle of the society that we live in, which is often defined as a postmodern culture. Postmodern culture says that relativism is there's no absolutes. You can't have a bloke called Phil Pye standing up in Arena Church on Sunday morning saying this is the word of the Lord because we don't know whether it is the word of the Lord. We can't come to any sense of absolutes in our life. In fact, the only thing that people are sure about in this day is that they're not sure about anything. And you'll come across all those people. Another ism that comes out of that worldview is atheism. How many of us have been confronted increasingly with people at work and in our social environment saying, oh, don't talk to me about God, I'm an atheist. Not sure that some of them have really understood that. But here's the truth. The upsurge of atheism, aggressive atheism, is increasing in a secular humanistic society that says that they're in charge. We see around us, friends, that when people take all of that worldview, they run to materialism. I'm not going to take any cheap shots about the banks today. Suffice to say, friends, that a modern world needs a bank system that works with integrity and fairness. But you've seen this week that when people say that all it matters about is me 
and me making lots of money, the corruption that becomes endemic within a society that wants to make money quick. See, money is a root of all evil. And I want to tell you, friends, that God's blowing on it. That's why it's all coming out. God's had enough of people behaving in those ways. He's absolutely blowing on it. We reap what we sow. Another ism, friends, is the ism of, of the hedonism. Hedonism comes from a, a Greek word, and it really means let's eat, drink, and, tomorrow, and, and be merry because tomorrow we die. I'll come back to that a bit later. Another ism that we come across in our life is syncretism. In other words, you can't just say there's one God. We can mix and match. We can have a little bit of Christianity. We can have a little bit of Zen Buddhism. We can have a little bit of New Age. We can have a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And all comes together in a nice mix that suits me. And so we could go on. But there's another worldview, friends. It's a worldview that's rooted in the Word of God. It's a worldview that we increasingly come to as followers of Jesus Christ. It says this. He says that we're God's creation. That he's made us unique. That we're special and blessed. And that we are created to rule and and have dominion in this world, to take responsibility for the world in which we live. We're created to have a relationship with God and with fellow man. That worldview tells us that sin caused a separation. It's an unpopular word, but the Bible talks about it. It talks about missing the mark. He brought creation under a curse. And that worldview says that God has redeemed us. He's paid the price through his son Jesus' sacrifice upon the cross. And that if we'll come to him and repent of all the things that we've done wrong and turn around and change your mind that leads to a change of action and become devoted followers of Jesus Christ, we will actually leave, live in the primary purpose that God has called us to. And there is a day coming, friends, when God will restore all of creation to its former state. He's a restoring God. And he'll bring it back, friends, to all that he intended it to be. We live in the middle at the moment. And some of the issues that we face and some of the things that we have to go through and some of the things that we need to be prayed for because we're going through that in-between. And I want to encourage us today, friends, to recognize that in loving yourself, it's not about yourself. It's not about you being king, but it's about you coming to a submissive place of recognizing that God is overall. But if you come to that place, actually it really does position you to be all that God's called you to be. See, what I'm trying to say this morning is that we can be overly taken up with ourselves. In Greek mythology, there was a young man called Narcissus. He was a beautiful young man that became so obsessed with his image that he used to spend hour after hour, day after day, staring at his reflection in the water pool. He went completely in on himself. Narcissism is a word within our dictionary. It means, friends, that we become self-infatuated. It means that we are indifferent to the criticisms constructively and advice of other people. It means that we have a presumption of special favours It means that we've always got to have our own way. How many people do we find that live like that in these days? Totally taken up with themselves. But the other danger, and this is particularly true to Christians, is that we can also be overly down on ourselves. You see, the Bible, in terms of our discipleship journey, calls us to deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow us. But denial of ourselves is not dislike of ourselves. And this is where often the spiritual battle rages. And many people, friends, live out a dislike of themselves in all sorts of expressions. Hear me this morning. Please hear me carefully because I'm not trying to make any trite comment here or bring any condemnation on anybody. But often eating disorders come out of a dislike of self. Whatever extreme that runs to. 
Self-harming, friends, comes out of a dislike of ourselves. It's a destructive pattern that takes place in our lives that says, I hate myself. Destructive behavior, anger, out-of-control rage, hatred of others, actually comes out of a dislike of ourselves, an inability to build healthy relationships. Someone said, hurt people hurt people. And it may be, friends, that you spent your life pushing people away from you. God wants to bring you to a place where you will draw people to yourself. Because of what Christian said at the beginning, you carry something. You attract people, you draw people, because light is shining in your heart. God's not called us to be overly up on ourselves, and he's not called us to be overly down on ourselves, but he's called us to love ourselves. So that we might fulfill our destiny. What is our destiny, friends? Well, our destiny will be different things to different people. But here's the destiny that sits over every person in Arena Church this morning. The destiny is that you can become all that God intended you to be on the earth while he gives you breath. That is the destiny of God over your life. For some, it will be on a platform preaching and leading worship. For some people, it will be quietly, unobtrusively, never being noticed, doing the purposes and works of God in the quiet place. But the destiny of God over every life today is to be all that God intended you to be. And if you've bought into the lie that there's no destiny on your life, you need to be set free this morning because there is. There is a destiny over your life. Young people, there is a destiny over your life. People today, there is a destiny over your life. You might say, well, it's it's passed me by. I'm retired. I'm finished. You're not finished. You are not finished. Older people in our church, we love you. We often say we love the kids, but we love the older people in Arena Church. We love the wisdom that you bring. We love the spirit that you bring. We love the counsel that you bring. We love the example that you bring. We love the consistency to the house that you bring. And the intended purpose of you being on the earth is still to be fulfilled. And God calls us to rise to what he's called us to be. I want to briefly give you five things this morning that will encourage us, inspire us to love ourselves. Number one, we love ourselves because we're unique. Psalm 139 says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And all our days have been written in the book. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. Someone says, be assured, you are quite extraordinary. You are different. There is no single being in the whole universe exactly like you. Isn't that incredible? It's to be celebrated. I know sometimes I've spoken to people that are identical twins. Interestingly, sometimes they find it difficult to find their identity. It tends to rub off on each other. But the reality is there are, there are uniquenesses about you. You, you. Thank God not everybody's like me. And thank God not everybody's like you. But you're unique. You're special. You're loved. You're blessed. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. You're to be celebrated. You've got something to contribute. And God wants you to begin to believe it. We need to love ourselves, secondly, friends, because we have a capacity to know God. It reflects itself in relationship. See, when you become a Christian, you realize that that relationship had been destroyed. It had been ruined. It had pushed you away from God. And what a day, friends, when we came to Jesus Christ. Maybe as a young boy or a young girl, maybe 40, 50, 60 years into the journey, lots of baggage, lots of things we wish we'd never done but all washed away when we came to Jesus and found a relationship of acceptance with him. The finished work on the cross says it's a finished work over you. You are restored to your rightful place of being a child of God. It speaks about communion. 
And there's a sense this morning, as Pete led us so well, in communion, that reminds us again of our relationship with the Lord, our communion with God. We can commune in worship and praise and prayer. We can commune by hearing God's voice. All the privileges of a relationship and a communion and a depth with God are ours. And it speaks about identity. In Romans chapter 8, verses 15 to 16, it says that you've not been given the spirit of fear, but you've been given the spirit of sonship or adoption by which we cry, Abba, Father. There's an identity, friends, in Jesus. There's an identity for us to be all that he's called us to be. By knowing what he is, you can understand who you are. And he brings us to a family environment, a sense of belonging. What's the name of that TV program on the telly with Nicky Campbell when he gets these people together that have been estranged from the parents for years and years? And Anybody? I don't know. Thank you. Long lost family. Some of you may have watched it. But often these people are in the 30s, 40s, 50s, even 60s. For whatever reason, they've been estranged from their birth parent, their birth father, birth mother. And by a series of circumstances, I understand it's television as well. They come, they come back together. Sharon says to me recently, she says, these people are very rarely angry. Very rarely angry. It is just a, a great sense of coming together. There's a sense of finding their identity by meeting the person that actually brought them into this world. And I want to say today, friends, that that's where God wants us to be. You see, there was a time when we were estranged. There was a time when we were afar off. But the old song says, I was lost, but Jesus found me. He found the sheep that went astray. He threw his loving arms around me and he drew me back into the way. You see, your identity today is not by what people say to you. I'll come to that in a moment. But it's by what you are in God. And you can love yourself because he does. Thirdly, we can love ourselves because we are called to a special relationship. It's called being the bride of Christ. And in the third reading this morning... We were encouraged as husbands to love our wives even as we love ourselves. The bride of Christ. I want to tell you, friends, that God loves the bride. It's called the church. He's preparing a beautiful bride for an incredible feast. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be absolutely incredible. And Jesus Christ loves the bride. He loves the church. I was listening to somebody recently and says, when every empire has come and gone, friends, over the history of time, the church are going to remain. When people of great renown and invention and ability have come and gone, the church is going to remain. When people have pitched up at our great capital city in a few weeks' time to achieve sporting immortality, they're going to actually go one day. But the church is going to remain. If Jesus tarries, friends, in a thousand years, here's a prophecy. The church is still going to be around He's going to keep growing because Jesus says that he will build his church. And I get a little bit tired, friends, of people that want to take pot shots at the church. I really do. I was speaking to somebody over coffee this week. He said, I've read a new book. And he gave me the title. I said to him, I says, if that's 200 pages that are going to bag the church, you can keep the book to yourself. I'm not interested. I want to read what the Bible says about the church. And the Bible says about the church that we're the bride of Christ, that he's brought us into a special relationship with himself. I've heard lots of people say, well, I can be a Christian without going to church. There's another element of truth about that, but why would you want to be? Why would you want to isolate yourself? You see, God's called us to be sheep, and sheep are flock animals. They love to come together. You are not called to live this life on your own. 
You are not called, friends, to abdicate from pitching up to something that is the very heart of God. You are not called to come and draw yourself away from something that Jesus gave himself for. One great preacher recently said these words, that if you say that you do not need the church, then you are an incredibly immature person. He said it, not me. If you say that you do not need the church, you are an incredibly immature person. I'm not going to mention his name, because even people in our church sometimes have a problem when the name's been mentioned. But when you've given 91% of your income away, next year, as he's done last year, you can come and talk to me about this guy's name. Is that okay? Because there's always more to these people than meets the eye. Charles Swindell says, we the church so often forget who we are. We are the bride of Christ. The call is not to weakness or aimlessness, but it's to see our relationship and live in the blessing of it. You've often heard Christians say, God loves the church and I love the church. And friends, we know that the church gets it wrong at times. And when it gets it wrong, it needs to say sorry. We know that sometimes we'll get it wrong and we'll be quick where possible to say sorry. But I want to tell you that we love the church. We're impassioned about the church. The church in many expressions, the church in many locations, the church working in all sorts of different ways because it reflects to us the special relationship of God's love to us, our love to him, and also our love of ourselves. Number four, we can love ourselves because we're not defined by our context. In Jonah chapter two, you can't get into a worse place than being in the depth of a great fish, a whale, if you like. Some debate about whether it was a whale, but it was certainly a great fish. Right in the depths of, of, of the great fish. I understand that Jonah was there because he disobeyed God. But there's always a way back to God, friends. There's always a heart to God. In fact, Jonah, Jonah probably didn't love himself very much in that particular moment, but he called out to God and God met with him. I don't care where you've been. I don't care where you are. You are not defined by your context. Joshua Bell is a celebrated violinist who enjoys great acclaim with the Boston Symphony Orchestra. And one day, just as a little bit of a sort of exercise, he went down into the metro substations of the States. He was on YouTube and he began to play. And the truth was that lots of people wandered by. They didn't even recognize it was Joshua Bell. One of the great violinists of the world, they just wandered by because, because they defined him by his context. That he didn't. He didn't. We still get people sometimes trying to define us by our context, Christian and me, or the leaders. We refuse to let it happen, friends. We refuse to let it happen. Don't be defined by the context of this town or this M1 corridor because this is an amazing place that is set fair for a move of God in an amazing way that we've never seen before. We just need to press into it. And then when God does it, friends, people say, how did it happen there? Because of God. Talking to somebody for the first time. Hi, John. Hi, your name's Phil. Next question. So what do you do for a living? And sometimes it's very interesting to hear what people do for a living. But if you're unemployed today and you're looking for a job, God still loves you and you need to love yourself. If you've been made redundant and it's wrecked your life, and you're just trying to find a fresh season in your life, God loves you and you need to love yourself. If you're sick today and you believe in God for a, move, for a touch of God in healing, and it means that it's difficult for you to do some of the things that you'd like to do, 
You need to know that God loves you and you need to love yourself. If you're retired today, then you need to realize, friends, that God loves you and you need to love yourself. You see, we are not defined by our context. We're defined by the love of God. And when we understand that we're defined by the love of God, we increasingly love ourselves. Sometimes we can even go through the stuff, friends, that was sought to be put on Job in the Old Testament. When we go through difficult times, say, well, it must be me. It must be my fault. I must have done something wrong. That could be the case sometimes, but often it's not. It's just the seasons of life. It's just something that you're going through. Here's the truth. You're going to go through it. Interesting. This morning, Pete was encouraged us to run the race. And uh, the devotional readings for July in Arena Church of Hebrews, it's the whole thing of not pulling back, but of pressing forward, of keeping our eyes on Jesus, of running the race that he's called us to. Number five, friends, we can love ourselves because we can triumph over the enemy. The first part of John chapter 10 says, the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. The second part of the verse says that I am come that you might have life and have it in all of its fullness. That literally means, friends, that we can have a taste of the life of the age to come and we can have it more abundantly. We can have it in all of its fullness. You see, the comments, the attitudes, the conversations, the decisions that have been laid upon you that seek to inhibit you, that seek to impair you, that seek to intimidate you, that seek to bring you to a place of inferiority, carry nothing in the life that Jesus Christ has brought you to. You need to stop living there. You need to stop receiving it. You need to stop drawing on the juices of it. And you need to realize this morning that you can triumph over the enemy because Jesus Christ has come to a place in you where you can know life, life of the age to come, and that life more abundantly the celebrated author philip yancey says there is nothing we can do to make god love us more and there's nothing we can do to make god love us less he loves us he loves us he loves us he loves us van shaw says that god loves us not that we might try and become but so that we can not trying to get to god friends he loves us he loves us he loves us he loves us when you understand the deeper love of God, when you understand that the overwhelming love of God comes to you again and again, God wants you to come to a revelation this morning that it's okay to love yourself. Okay to love yourself, to enter into all that God's got for you. Isaiah 49, 16 in the message says, I'll never forget you. Never. Look, I've written your name on the palms of my hands. It's not a call this morning to arrogance. I hope you heard me. But it's not a call also to subservience. God likes us. He loves us, he's proud of us, and we need to live in the revelation of that. And as we close, I just want to make one or two comments that just felt led on my heart. Because it's interesting this morning that without any sense of collusion, Christian got up on the back of the team doing a great job in leading us to the heart of the Lord and talked about the presence of God. Then Andy got up to give the notices and talked about there's no place like the presence of God. And maybe this morning that you found it difficult at times to love yourself. Maybe some great shame. Maybe some things. Maybe you've been a Christian 5, 10, 15, 20, 25 years into the journey. But this is a real sticking point. It's a revelation, friends. It may be that in, in past life and even in terms of your spiritual journey, there's times when you've lived carelessly. Because you don't love yourself and aimlessly and even promiscuously to try and prove the love of other people. You think that's the way to do it. It's not. It may be that you've lived selfishly and rebelliously. It may be that you've lived angrily 
And even cynically, and cynic, cynic, cynicism, friends, is, is the antidote to faith. And these things carry in your hearts. But God brings you to a place of wholeness today. And wholeness is, is living with integrity. <clears throat> Interestingly, that we've just celebrated the 100th year of the Titanic hitting the iceberg. Great ship was going to win the blue ribbon to cross the Atlantic. And the interesting thing about the Titanic was it was the first ship that was put into compartments. In other words, the designers said, well, if something happens to one part of the ship, it won't impact the rest. Don't work like that. And sometimes we live our life in compartments. We, we sort of do this and we do that and we do the other. The reality is that we can't live like that because God wants to touch the whole. He wants to impact the whole. He wants to impact the whole. And he calls us to wholeness this morning, friends. And there were two words laid on my heart in the call to wholeness. The first was process. It is a discipleship journey. It's a decision. If I can put it this way, friends, it's a cold decision. It's a deliberate decision. As one of my friends recently said, in terms of defining discipleship, it is a commitment to a process towards Christ-likeness. It's a journey. If you'll commit to it, God's going to bring you at short certain times. He's going to correct you. He's going to challenge you. He's going to shape you. It's a process. The process of our decisions, our changes, our repentance, our priorities. A process to increasing the understanding that we can love ourselves because God does. But here's the second thought. It's not only a process, it's a crisis. And when I mean a crisis, I'm not on about something gone wrong. I'm, I'm trying to illustrate this morning, friends, that the deeper love engagement with God comes about by a confrontation with his presence. I don't even know if I can define it. But David in the Psalms, when he realized that he let God down, when he loved himself when, by going in on himself, when he, when he revolved around everything that was himself and where God came to him afresh, he said, cast me not away from your presence. Your presence. And I just felt a real burden on my heart, friends, as we draw this Sunday morning service to a close to encourage Arena Church, maybe for the first time for some of you, not only to commit to the process of being a devoted follower of Jesus, but a pitch up to a crisis, a confrontation with his presence. Here's the journey of a preacher. I went to bed last night about quarter past 11. About 10 to 12, I thought, I've got to get downstairs and write these pieces, these stuff on there. The presence of God. What does it mean, friends, to be confronted with the presence of God? Well, often being confronted with the presence of God is emotional. It's emotional. Blokes don't like that, particularly. The presence of God is disarming. It strips away everything that we are. It puts all the pretenses to flight. And it just isn't God. The presence of God is detoxifying. I felt strong in my heart, friends, this morning that there are people in arena church and you carry some poisons in your inner being for a long time and God says today's the day to connect with me to just be detoxified to get rid of that stuff that stirs away in your heart that stops you loving yourself and we could go on those but I'll trust the spirit of God to apply it to us the spirit of God friends takes in terms of his presence takes control away from us and people hate that people hate it A confrontation with the presence of God, friends, is searching. 
The psalmist says, search my heart, O Lord, and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me. You know, the more you allow yourself to be confronted with the presence of God, the more you realize that holiness is still a journey to go on. Sometimes we feel that we've nailed it. We've got it all sorted out. And then we're confronted with the searching presence of God. And he begins to speak about motive. Begins to speak about attitude. Begins to speak about why we do certain things. We have to come again and again and again to say, God, it's all about you. The, over, the, the presence of God is overwhelming and the presence of God is empowering. Friends, as we come to a conclusion this morning, reminding ourselves that his love never fails, it never gives up. It never runs out on me. The deeper, amazing love of God. Yes, a love in our hearts to love him back. A love in our hearts to love each other more deeply. And we really, really want to do that. We want to be an authentic community of believers in arena so that other people can look on and say, see how they love one another. A love to our community that's often battered and bruised and bowed down with the love of God. And I'll tell you, friends, it'll never happen to the way and the extent that we want it to happen unless we love ourselves. We commit to a process. We commit to a crisis of meeting the presence of God, loving God, and so having permission to love ourselves. This is the core over our lives. I wonder if you'll pray.